Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. So, welcome back from break. Yes, welcome back. How was uh, how was your break? It was great. It was great. Nice and relaxing. And you had good news, right? April? Or is it May? May. May 5th? Oh, May 5th. Yes, I did have good news. I was looking at you like, I don't understand. I know, right? I'm going to see Hamilton. My husband bought us tickets to go see them in Dallas, and I'm really excited. I've, I, I've not heard a single song. Stop. No. How can you even do an episode on political parties in Hamilton versus Jefferson and never have heard the soundtrack to the musical? You should be ashamed. I, I'm not, though. <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen to it. It's so great. I do say, I will say, I've heard uh, the, rap, the rap battle. Okay. Um, which cabinet, I thought was actually. The cabinet really, battle? Which cabinet one? battle. Number one or battle. number two? Both? You're asking me. You, okay. There was a, a cabinet battle. Okay. And which I thought was really good. It is. Good for the classroom, possibly. The language is a little. The language is rough on a couple of those. Are there clean versions out there? Yes, but it only cleans up the the S word. It uh-huh. doesn't clean up like the D word and the H word and those words. I'm censoring this right now. <laughs> I know, right? I feel like we're teaching kindergarten. Yeah. Here. Well, <laughs> the, it it only takes out this word. No, it only takes out a few of the words. I so, um, I would have to have like I might scour YouTube to like see if they have really clean versions. clean clean versions but we use the lyrics in class nice yeah Nikisha Smith shout out to Nikisha she gave me a lesson where there's actually an online digital format of the cabinet battles and it has Lin-Manuel Miranda's actual annotations on there the real Lin-Manuel the real <laughs> you're so mean you're so mean so we're gonna have the kids annotate the cabinet battles and compare it to Lin-Manuel's annotations should be cool fantastic yeah so obviously today we're talking Hamilton and Jefferson. Hamilton versus Jefferson. Which has kind of like been Stevens versus La Follette, right? Absolutely. Right? So uh, if you don't know, Lindsay and I became friends with me making fun of her. <laughs> and then it morphed into this fight over Hamilton and Jefferson, which I think we kind of play up, but it's really not that big a deal. It's really not as much about Hamilton versus Jefferson as it is just about Jefferson I feel right. like because you – I am a huge Jeffersonian. Like, I love Jefferson, but I also love Hamilton. And for some reason, you have it in your mind that because I love Jefferson, I have to hate Hamilton. It's not true. I just really like Jefferson, and you despise – well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you're not as fond as, of Jefferson as I am, and so we've always kind of butted heads on that. So I think Jefferson is vastly overrated. I think he's underrated. How can Jefferson be any more lionized and, and <coughs> made a hero? I mean, in, maybe in hindsight he's a little overrated, but at the time, the poor guy, you got to kind of feel sorry for him. Like, he was hidden by Franklin. Franklin was more popular than him in France, and he even called himself his successor, not his replacement, <laughs> because so many people idolized Franklin. Um, and then, you know, during the American Revolution, he was outshined by Washington as well, which not saying that's wrong, rightfully so, but um, 
you know, so I, I feel like he's a little bit underrated than what he deserves. Uh, see, okay. I mean, I guess. I'm going to convince you by the end of no, this podcast. No, because Franklin's my jam, though. Well, you can still like, you can like both of them. There's an idea. But that doesn't make a good podcast. I guess that's true. <laughs> so uh, we're looking at those teaks, uh, 85C, 85A, kind of the idea of explaining the origins and development of early uh, American pol- political parties and things like that. So that's kind of where we're headed with this. We kind of, with the last session, talked about Washington's presidency, and so this is kind of that. It's a little bit of an extension of that because Absolutely. of the two guys we're talking about. Definitely. So go ahead. I'll, I'll start with Hamilton. We usually, I always have my kids look at the background of these guys because they're so opposite of each other mm-hmm. and then have kids make predictions on what they think um, Hamilton might support or Jefferson might support. So okay. I'll start with Hamilton. Um, you know, he grew up as a poor kid in the uh, Caribbean. Was an, uh, ended up becoming an orphan when his mother died. His father ended up in debtor's prison because he couldn't pay bills. And um, mom and dad weren't married. Which scandalous. Was a, was a huge scandalous. scandal. Like it, it followed him. Everything in Hamilton's life is scandalous. Let's just be honest. Well, that's part of his self-inflicted. Exactly. Well, true. But and he he carried that that moniker with him forever. Like you know the the phrase for somebody whose parents aren't married. Right. Went with him all the way to New York from the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, can't escape it. He can't escape it. But he ends up escaping the island by showing promise. He's he's bright. He does uh, Fan- really good work. Mm-hmm. He's a the, fantastic writer. And, well, and he does great with um, accounting. Mm-hmm. And so the people of the island see promise in him, so they send him to what is King's College. Which is amazing to me. Like, that blows my mind that people mm-hmm. saw something in him and basically paid his way to go to America. Like, I, that's unheard of in today's society, I feel like. Well, it's a scholarship. I guess it, I guess it is a scholarship, but it's just weird to me that it's like a community pool to make one kid from our island better. Right, and then I'm being interested. That'd be an interesting thing to see how often that happened. Yeah, but he goes to New York City. He goes to King's College, which is now Columbia, uh, right before the American Revolution, and mm-hmm. he's older than most of the college kids. He wants to finish college very quickly. Um, a lot of the what is now Ivy League schools say you can't do that, basically because Madison had a breakdown uh, for doing the same thing. Uh, anyway, and he gets caught. He gets into the American Revolution and serves with Washington and. Just shows a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes money the good old-fashioned way by marrying it mm-hmm. with the uh, was it the Schuyler sisters? Yes, the Schuyler sisters. Well, he doesn't marry both sisters, but well, he would have if he could have. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he would have as well. Yeah, he, he ends up marrying Elizabeth Schuyler, who's the the middle child of okay. the three Schuyler sisters. Interesting. But he met Angelica Schuyler first, and actually, really was fond of her. Many historians think that they actually loved each other, hmm. but um, there's no, there's not a lot of evidence for that. Just a couple of letters where there were some misplaced commas. Misplaced commas. Yeah, that really stuck with you. I mean, that's that's like the leading evidence that they have that there was a romantic affiliation between the two. Because if you know that Hamilton is such a great writer, he writes to Angelica, <laughs> who's living in England at the time, and he puts "my dearest, comma Angelica." Instead of my dearest Angelica, with no comma. And if you know Hamilton and his writing skills. It's purposeful. Yeah, you don't misplace a comma like that on accident. All right. So. So he's, he ends up becoming a lawyer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you want to go with Jefferson? I'll let you since he's yeah, your Yeah, I mean, favorite. you like thoroughly explained him. I don't know if I can thoroughly explain Jefferson's upbringing as well as you just did Hamilton, but I'll well, do my best. I mean, Jefferson grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, right? No, you cannot use that phrase. We discussed this. But I did. <laughs> well, when you use that phrase, it has a negative connotation. And just because you're born into wealth doesn't automatically make you a spoiled brat. Okay. It can, but it doesn't. And in Jefferson's, Jefferson's case, I'm going to argue that it did not make... Now, did he ha- maybe have an unfair advantage over Hamilton? Definitely. Um, but anyway, Jefferson is born into wealth. He's one of several siblings. Um, his father passes away when he's 21, 25, somewhere in that age range. And he inherits several acres of land. Um, he specifically got the land that is now known as... Um, Monticello, right, which is where his, he builds his home, um, and then he does end up marrying Martha, his wife, and with that he inherits a significant amount of land or land as well. But mostly, what's going to come with Martha Washington are slaves. Martha Randolph, right? Martha Randolph. Did I say Washington? It's okay. They're all named Martha. <coughs> um, Martha Jefferson is what she mm-hmm. her married name is, and um, so they end up. He ends up gaining several slaves with her most notably the Hemings okay. slaves come with um, Martha you know the story about the Hemings right what story that Sally Hemings may have been Martha's half sister yeah she was yeah she was her half sister well that's what we believe well Monticello says the same thing I believe like yeah. they, they fully they, embrace yeah the, the whole it's not there's no hiding the whole Sally yeah. Hemings thing yeah um, we're not going to really get into that on this podcast you can definitely google that but um, yeah, so that's Jefferson. He's a lawyer. He goes to... Um, William and Mary. The College of William and Mary. Yes. Have you been there? I have. It's awesome. It is beautiful. It's the third, third oldest university. Is it? In the United States. Yeah. Jefferson is a guy that's like super interesting to me. He, I think what made me become so attached to Jefferson in hindsight now is his passion for education and just how, like, he just was a learner. Like, everything fascinated him, and there was nothing that he, um, that couldn't stop him from whatever he wanted when he, like, focused in on something, like architecture, mm-hmm. and he brings a whole bunch of architecture um, ideas back into a, to America from his travels, and just everything that he becomes, like, interested in, he just fully em- embraces himself in it and i just love that about him right with the creation of uva um, yeah. which if you ever get a chance to see the campus of uva oh, man, and the old beautiful. the old portion with the rotundas um, is pretty incredible yeah and, and his contributions are huge i think my f- not frustration with him because that's not accurate is um a lot of the stuff he he kind of he he borrows a lot of things from other people you know it, I, the declaration of independence is awesome it's well written but it's john locke right Well, you always make the statement that it's plagiarized, right? (laughs) Well, I just have a different view on it because in my mind, Jefferson in that moment, we're about to get on a little soapbox. I'm about to get on a soapbox, but in that moment, Jefferson was not intending to portray his own ideas and thoughts. He was intending to portray the ideas and thoughts of the Americas. And so he compiled all of these. I mean, he stole stuff. Like he has things from different documents throughout all of the colonies, but his job was not to put forth his own opinions but rather he was given the task to combine the opinions of all americans and submit that to the king so you call it plagiarism i call it a good representation of other people's opinions you know he died a hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah that's why they had to auction off monticello when he died i believe it 
But he also he had wasn't a, great with money. If you're if you live near uh, Southwest Virginia, there's one of his other estates called uh, Poplar Forest, mm-hmm. and that's uh, where he escaped to during the American Revolution and and yep. hid for a while. And I believe his house was octagonal. Which one? In in Poplar Forest. Well, aren't both? No, no. Um, uh, um, Monticello is more. I mean, it's rectangular, and it's got no. one room. The the Madison room is roundish. Monticello is a hexagon. Is it hectagon, octagon? Monticello is an octagon. The house is an octagon. This is we've gone off on a huge tangent okay. here. Anyway, Monticello is definitely octagon though. If I you get a chance to see summer. it, go see it. You got to see it. It's amazing. It, it ha- awesome. it's really cool. And the artwork that they have there, and just the way that every the tour guides are amazing, and the view is oh my gosh, it's incredible, spectacular. But um, the thing I like to have my kids do with this is give them uh, maybe an anticipation guide on. Who do you think would believe this? You know, um, the power of the government should be in the people's hands or it should be in the wealthy people's hands mm-hmm. or the state should have more power. Something along those lines to get the kids thinking and asking. Um, and then later on you come back to that guide and, and what are they surprised by? Right. Uh, and I think that's just a good way to introduce it. And they kind of like, I mean, these, these they're almost written like characters in a... Uh, soap uh, opera. Yeah, soap yeah. opera. They're not supposed to like each other. Yeah. And so I think that works well with kids. It does. Because they're used to that because that's... Everybody how, has an enemy. Well, that's how they live their life. Yeah. Good I mean, bad. Hamilton has like 50 enemies, but everybody yeah, has at least well, one, right? <laughs> well, you know, one of them did die getting shot by uh, <laughs> Very the villain, true. right? Very true. So the, the these guys really start to have problems with each other when they work for Washington and his cabinet. Um, Hamilton being the Secretary of Treasury and Jefferson being the Secretary of State. Jefferson wasn't in the country during the... Um, creation of the constitution so they never we don't see anything before that right because hamilton was kind of coming of age at that point right like where he's just starting to get his foot in politics well and kids always ask why the two didn't i always had kids ask why did it start with the cabinet why didn't it go back to the constitution because they're used to that federalist anti-federalist argument um and that's just kind of the reason why that's a misconception they didn't they don't understand that jefferson wasn't actually in the country yeah it wasn't in the country yet um but it really a lot of this comes down to the national bank okay where Hamilton believes that the National Bank is almost, it needs to be, it needs to happen. It's necessary. And it's already been kind of created before this. Robert Morris, who financed the revolution, had kind of created a bank, um, but it wasn't an official thing. Okay. And then it all, it's all about interpretation, right? Yeah. And well, so that's a misconception that students will often have. They'll understand that Jefferson and Hamilton disagree about the creation of the National Bank. What they don't understand is that it's really not about the National Bank. Right. That's just the issue that comes to fruition. But it's really about how they interpret the Constitution. Hamilton says that the Constitution does give the power to create well, a national bank. His is more of it doesn't prevent him from creating a national bank. Okay. And Jefferson is more along the lines of it doesn't allow, allow you to do right. it. Which is a is we're still arguing about this today. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that's another good point for kids to you know figure out. And they always get this one too because I always ask them, you know, have you ever played with your parents and go, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't do this. Yeah. How's that work out for you? Yeah. Um, I tell them that too. I'm like, hey, which type of person are you? Are you the person who says, ooh, if the rules don't say I can't do it, mm -hmm. then I can. So I better include every single rule, right? Um, Or are you the type of person who's like, well, the rules don't tell me I can do that, so I can't. 
Correct. You know? But then when you when you phrase it that way, just so you know, most kids are going to agree with Hamilton on that one because they all think that they're <laughs> rebels who don't like rules, you know. But it's just kind of a good way to con- make the connections for kids. Right. So this is all about interpretation of the Constitution. Again, it's a good it's – it's an easy engagement with this. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to raise the rigor for your um, pre or your academic – your pre-AP kids, GT kids, you can challenge them to defend one argument mm-hmm. using the Constitution. So technically, Hamilton's argument is they defend it with Article 1, Section 8 Elast- of the Constitution. Elastic Clause? Uh, no, not the Elastic Clause, the Necessary and Proper Necessary Clause. And proper. So the clause that states that Congress shall have the right to do what it deems as necessary and proper to fulfill its duties. And since they have the power of the purse, then therefore a national bank is necessary and proper. Okay. So that's kind of what the kids would be looking for as a, a defense for Hamilton's argument. Um, the It's the same thing for Jefferson's argument. It's just that he doesn't feel that it's necessary and proper. So could you put both, like, uh, that clause and then also put in, like, the Tenth Amendment in there and things like that yeah. and have the kids make arguments based off that? Yeah, that'd be fun. And they could I mean, go from there with that. I like it. Fantastic. Um, so they, the, Washington's cabinet does not stay together. It breaks up pretty quickly. Um, you know, Jefferson leaves, Hamilton leaves. And the parties really start to, by the end of Washington's presidency, um, they're fully entrenched for yeah. the most part. The well, uh, um, when, when these issues start to arise, they don't like just keep it within the cabinet. No. They're dramas for everyone to see. It's the Kardashian version <laughs> of the early republic. So no offense to the Kardashians. That might have been offensive. It's okay. Okay, anyways. I don't think anybody's going to cry. <laughs> So they're publishing articles about each other. They're, you know, they're writing, they're expressing their opinions and points of view. They're, I mean, this debate debate is very public. So like the newspapers, right? The media yeah, is involved. for sure. This idea of an unbiased media, which I'm going off a little bit, but, you know. The, the that news, never existed. Never existed. Never existed. So they're, they're publicly arguing and debating, and it's very heated at this time. So before Washington actually resigns and steps down, Jefferson decides to resign and is going to run for president. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's when Washington decides, you know, maybe I just should next, let the next, you know, successor take over. And um, so Jefferson's really the one who leaves with the intention of running for president. Well, when, Hamilton can't. Ra- well, Hamilton can because there's a part of the Constitution that states that if you were a citizen of the United States at the time of the signing of the Constitution. Hamilton doesn't run for president because when Jefferson resigns, he starts investigating Hamilton because Hamilton's ticked him off. And there's one political enemy you don't want to make in this world. It's Jefferson because he's excellent at dirt digging. And who does he use for that dirt digging? I don't even know. Aaron, I think he uses Burr. I don't know, but I believe it. I know he he and Burr are friends. But anyway, so... He finds dirt on Hamilton, and he basically finds all his transactions, looks into Hamilton's financial history, and finds out that Hamilton has been, in his mind, embezzling money. So he thinks that Hamilton's been embezzling money, when in fact Hamilton's been paying off a man whose wife Hamilton had an affair with. So the first sex scandal in America. Exactly. Well, Jefferson calls Hamilton out on this, and Hamilton explains it away. And he's like, you know, 
does this satisfy you? Are you good with this? Are we good to move on? If you know that I'm not actually stealing money from the country, can we just move on? And Jefferson's like, sure, sure. But I think Hamilton kind of knew and didn't want anyone to have blackmail hanging over him. So he ends up um, just publishing it and just basically putting his affair out there for everybody to know about. Well, and she she divorces her husband, or the husband divorces her. Oh, yes. And her lawyer was Aaron Burr. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I did right. not know that. That's yeah. cool. But anyway, so um, that is what ruins Hamilton's ability to run for president, arguably. Now, he never actually tries to run for president. But when Adams wins the presidency, you know, when Adams and Jefferson run against each other and Adams mm-hmm. wins, one of the first things he does as president is fires Hamilton from the cabinet. Even though they're in the same political party. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and Hamilton really is kind of the man behind the curtain after that point. I mean, he's pretty powerful still, but yeah. he's he's definitely. So th- that kind of goes into the creation of the two parties with the Federalist Party and the Democratic Republicans. Right. And the thing that's frustrating about the Democratic Republicans is it screws kids up because yeah. they, hear t- they think today's Democrats are Republicans. Yeah. And then sometimes when you read in sources... They're called Jefferson's Republicans or the Republican yeah. Party, or then they're the Democratic Republicans. Or just the Democrats. And they're not the Democrats that we create with Je- uh, with uh, Jackson. Nobody calls it the same thing. No, it, it, which is really frustrating. It is really frustrating. And I'm terrified that one day it'll show up on the star test as like Jefferson's Republicans, which I don't think they have You can just dismiss either. that. If that question pops up on a test, you can just go ahead and dismiss <laughs> that as not accurate data. Uh, not accurate. Like, it's not fair to the Yeah, kids, that's right? an unfair question. If you don't use it as Democratic Republicans. I don't think they do that, though. I hope not. I hope not. But who knows? So the Federalists. Um, this is where we have the kids delving into documents and maybe some quotations and figuring out what do the Federalists believe, what are the Democratic Republicans. Mm-hmm. The, the basic gist of the Federalists are there. Um, but today they'd be kind of considered big business. They're about the bankers and the right. financiers. Because... To some degree, they understand that trade is going to make the country prosperous. Correct. Uh, Correct. There's not much manufacturing taking place. They'll eventually kind of move into that phase. It's mostly a regional party. Yeah. New England uh, with a little bit of New York. Urban. Mm -hmm. Uh, More of a powerful central government taking a role in things. So, like, John Marshall would be a Federalist. Absolutely. Because he's going to expand the power of the national government. They take a very loose interpretation of the Constitution. Right. Because they, they've seen what, in their minds, the Articles of Confederation were the weakness, and they don't want to anywhere move to that. Whereas the Democratic Republicans are more of your individual man, your small farmers. Right. Um, let's let the states take care of everything. Let the individual take care of everything. And they just had different visions of the country. Right. Like the fe- the Federalists saw America as a powerhouse, an epi- ec- an little, uh, little, little, I'm all over my words. Anyways, an economic powerhouse that was going to be a world leader at some point. Mm-hmm. The Jeffersonians, the Democratic Republicans, they saw America staying mostly rural, um, not really becoming a, a large financier of the world or anything like that, just kind of staying within their lane and kind of just the slower pace of life. Right. So the, the the big issue about this time is kind of the French Revolution. Right. Which is a huge mess, but eventually France and England go to war over this. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, who do we support? And That's something Washington has to kind of decide. And then it continues on with Adams and Jefferson as well, and obviously Madison. Right. And so you have your Federalists saying we should, our trade partner is the most important. And Jefferson saying, well, our uh, ally, our our 
Loyalty. idealist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, should align with the French. And Washington, I think, handles it beautifully and say, no, we're just going to leave them both alone. Yeah. Um, but, by the way, and, and anything we talk about with Hamilton and Jefferson, there's probably a clip of it in John Adams, the HBO version, uh, John Adams with Paul Giamatti, that has the two talking to each other. Mm-hmm. It, they're really good clips for kids to watch, some five minutes long. Mm. Um, it just kind of gives the kids that a little face. That show is so dark. Well, like the lighting in it. It is dark, yeah. It's dark, and I'm just like, I can't get past it. You can find them on YouTube, though, if yeah. you're looking for something. Just make sure you preview it. Yes, please censor it because it's not. Most of it's good. There's, wow. a, there's a tar and feathering scene that gets a little. Oh, God. Yeah, well, they, sh- they strip the guy naked before they oh, do it. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. I guarantee you there's one teacher who maybe listened to this podcast that's actually played that and go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! So anyway, um, so the the really thing is, again, having kids determine are you a, are you a Jeffersonian or are you a Hamilton? Like, yeah, that's the way to hook them, right? Yeah, I make them pick at the beginning. I kind of give them a little bo- a, a little you know synopsis of who these guys were as people. I really try to bring that to light because I feel like so many times the kids don't understand the personalities of these right. these men. But um, and I force them to pick, and then they just become latched like. By the end of it, they're like, no, Hamilton's better or Jefferson's mm-hmm. better or whoever they've picked. So it's kind of fun to to keep the, to get them engaged that way. Well, the nice thing is, too, like you said, with the, the success of the uh, musical and then just these are these guys are easier to humanize than like Washington is this kind of Zeus like figure that's more all powerful. And we don't really know what he's like. He's kind of a statue, if you will, mm-hmm. whereas um Hamilton and Jefferson, this this fight between them makes it easier to see them as people. Yeah. Um, Definitely. That's that's kind of my view on the whole thing. I agree. And this carries over to John Adams' presidency. We, he is a Federalist, kind of. I mean, Adams is Adams. What can you say about Adams? He's a Federalist, but he's more principled. He he won't he won't serve the party over what he believes to be right, which right. eventually is why he is only a one-term president. You think? Yeah. I thought he was a one-term president because he's just bad. He was a better president than Jefferson. Are you sure about that? Have you read the Alien and Sedition Acts? Have you seen the Embargo Act? The Embark? Come on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. No. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about We have an episode for Adam's podcast. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go at Adam's through. Jefferson. Adam's through Jefferson. Okay. Well, in okay. the next episode. What do you want to do? Um, probably break it up. Okay. We'll probably do Adam's presidency and then do Jefferson's presidency. Okay. That's like a two-minute episode on Adam's. On Adam's? Stop. <laughs> no. Just because you don't like Adam's doesn't mean you can't give I him. I like Adam's. There's well, just not much to it. He was a one-term president. Oh, yeah, that's true. But there's a lot to compact in that one term. So is there anything you think we missed with Hamilton and Jefferson? There's so much we missed. We could go, We could talk about this for days. Come on. What do you think we missed that we need to make sure we cover? Did we talk about the French Revolution in full? No, because it's lengthy. I mean, but, have, have you okay, heard? But let's just talk about <laughs> let's just talk about why Hamilton wants us to stay out of it. You talked about you know the idea that he's approaching this from an economic standpoint, right? And wants to keep trade partners open. Well, and and he he wants to maintain again. They're the most powerful country. They're entering into this industrial revolution at the time. Who Britain? Britain. Okay. Is. They're basically the only country that has entered into the industrial revolution, and so. Um, that it just makes sense if you're trying to worry about the finances, which, I mean, Hamilton is the Secretary of Treasury. His job is to make sure that the country is paying their debts, is able to 
compete on this world stage eventually at least right um jefferson like all things is he he's in his own head a lot of times i mean he he's brilliant yeah but in an academic sense he's not always the most pragmatic person and jefferson is an emotional man as well like he lived well he stayed in france for several several years right before the french revolution he's very good friends with marquis de lafayette and his wife um so he has a sense of loyalty to france and um so he's making his decisions more with his emotions i feel rather than looking at it from a financial standpoint well and and like i said he's he's very you know the idea that the tree of liberty shall be uh, fertilized with mm-hmm. the blood of tyrants mm-hmm. every so often. I mean that's that's nice and all from a guy who never served in the army. You know, but what what I'm saying though is he he gets caught up. I think, in my opinion, is with the ideals. Yeah. And instead of what's reality, sometimes. Yeah. No, um, I get what you're saying on that. And so he sh- that's a struggle of his. Like the embargo act. In theory, it sounds like a good idea, but it's a terrible. Yeah, but it, it propelled us into the Industrial Revolution. It's one of the reasons why we started to industrialize. Oh, absolutely. But we know that the Jeff- Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans didn't want an industrial country. That's true. That wasn't their purpose for it. That's true, but it doesn't mean that... Well, unintended consequences sometimes... Yeah, uh, can be a positive thing. So he, he right? was working for Hamilton. Well. Well, and then also, like, his strict construction view, um, he threw that out the window as soon as we got the Louisiana Territory. Well, he evolves. Like, that's the... And I'm not just trying to defend him, but that's what I like about Jefferson. That's what makes it so interesting to study him is because he is a very complex person, and I guess I just associate with that because a lot of people, like, in life have called him hypocritical because of, you know, everything that has gone on. But then there's things in my life that I see myself doing that's hypocritical. Like, there's things that I feel like maybe that are going on in our political world that are wrong that I should be taking an active role in but I just sit back and I'm like it will get taken care of and ideally I believe this but I don't actually do anything about it and so I in my in my own mind kind of associate with Jefferson in that sense and in the ways of like you know he 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 knew he should have done something he just never did and not that that's right Mm -hmm. not that it's okay but it's just something that I think is very human and it's it's interesting to learn about to me. Well, and I think I think you're probably right about that evolving thing because even I I mean I contradicted myself when I said, you know, he ignored the strict construction to buy Louisiana. Well, it was a pragmatic like buying Louisiana is a no-brainer. Yeah. But the constitution doesn't say anything. So he was pragmatic in that sense. Right. Um, and he just evolves. I the other thing I love about Jefferson is how loyal he is. Like that's part of why he, I think, wanted us to help in the French Revolution. Is like he'd promised. We'd promised. We have to be loyal. When you make promises, it's, it's me. It means something, you know. Like his relationship with his wife was devout. Like after she passed away, he went through years of hardcore depression. Um, he almost gave up political service to be with his wife when she was having all these crazy difficulties with her pregnancies and stuff. And mm-hmm. so, like loyalty to him is just something that is really drives a lot of what he does I think and that's, that's another reason why I really like Jefferson. I think he's I think he's the hard one and I and I've read some books on him and, and the best one uh, is American Sphinx and I forgetting who wrote that I think it's Joseph Ellis and he talks about how Jefferson is so hard to pinpoint down that people just make him who they want him to be 
Yeah. Which I think is probably pretty accurate. Um, well, I think that's because there's something about him that everyone can relate to. Well, you know, he owns slaves, but he says all men are created equal. equal. And then he even puts the, the slave grievance in the original declaration that right. was not accepted. Um, but well, then he. But that's the young version of him, right? Yeah. Like, that's like everybody in high school can. It's easy to be a Democrat. <laughs> right? Because until, until you're paying taxes. <laughs> and then you change. And it's like, to me, not that I'm ever endorsing slavery obviously but to me like that's something that's so easy to relate to like your youthfulness your ideas of like what the world should be like and then you get out into the real world and as you're like oh dang this sucks this is tough like there's things I have to do that maybe are messing with my ideals how do I handle that maybe Jefferson didn't handle it the best way obviously he didn't because he continued to own slaves but it's just something that is so human that we can relate to you know yeah I think you're I think there's something to that. whereas like when you're studying Washington even, I mean, still, though, Washington still continued to own slaves, and Washington still continued to do all of that, you know. So, I don't know. It's just interesting to me to, to dive into it because there's just more and more. The more I find out about him, the more I'm like, dang, you weren't always a great person, but it's just so interesting. So, I think, if anything, we've talked about is having the kids kind of struggle with these people. Yeah. I mean, they're they're... They're almost like characters in a, a novel. Yeah, and you're not going to get this in depth. No. But the hope is that you'll spark kids to relate to these guys and to understand, you know, what they've given up for our country yeah. and what they did for our country and to also understand that sometimes you, the the person who's helping you or whatever is not always 100% perfect. Right. And um, you kind of have to look at it that way. Well, and I think as we get further into this, you recognize that sometimes when you're making political decisions to do good, sometimes you have to make compromises on what you believe in. Yeah. And nobody is comfortable with that. I don't think anybody likes that. But I think for us to move forward at times, and I think every government, every every person who's ever been in a leadership position has had to compromise at some point. Yeah. And I think seeing letting kids see that, because I do think right now in the current system it's Mm -hmm. compromise is not allowed no because if you compromise if if you don't support this group of people or you don't support this ideal with taxes or anything like that then you're wrong instead of "Eh, sometimes we have to do this to get that and the other thing too for kids to look back and say is when do you when should you be doing something like because Jefferson should have done something about slavery there's no getting around that like he should have done something Mm -hmm. he should have taken action and he didn't but what in our lives should we be taking action on? And we're not. not. And we're not. Um, any primary sources you think people need to read on this? No. I don't. I can't think of any. I think we, we don't can, use a lot of primary. We use a History of Live activity where the kids pick a person and then they research their person and then they debate. So. Well, we talked about the Tenth Amendment. We talked about the um, necessary and proper. Yeah. Also the idea that... Um, I like to have kids also go, which party is more supportive of federalism? Which party is more f- supportive of republicanism? Chances, taking it back to the principles. The seven principles. I like it. To tie those things back in. So you're reviewing as well as applying that information. I like it. Um, and honestly, you don't really care on some of the answers. You want them to be able to just support what they, they think. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like our next episode is Adams and Jefferson. Adams... And Jefferson and one? I think we can do Adams and Jefferson. All right, we'll see. I'm going to convince you. All right. Anything else going on? That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening, guys. And um, if you have a minute, if you don't mind giving us a review on iTunes or whatever service, podcasting service you use to listen, we would really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thanks. Bye.
Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag PastToPresentPod or tweet us at at PastToPresentPod. That's past, the number two, present, P-O-D. If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us a review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.